Hello, I'm Mike Thompson. Welcome to episode 47 of Third Heaven Authority Podcast. So glad you joined us today because there's something that is very, very important. It has just been rolling around in my heart and I just wanted to share it with you. As you well know, this entire series of podcasts is devoted to teaching people how to understand who they are in the Lord Jesus Christ, what He has created them to be, and also what He has created them to do. By the way, that's kind of a definition, a working definition of grace around here. It's one I use often. The word grace, charis, in the uh, original language is a word that means, first of all, unmerited favor. Everybody knows that. You can't earn the grace of God. It's given freely. You don't receive it by works. But people don't understand there's also a working definition in the New Testament of the way that particularly the Apostle Paul applied that term. He also applied it in many forms to what our calling was, the uh, things that we did for Jesus. So in other words, my definition of grace is the unmerited favor and empowering presence of God, enabling us to be who he created us to be and to do what he has called us to do. It's an umbrella of grace. Now in that grace, there is authority. Authority is necessary because you can't really accomplish anything in the natural realm without natural authority. Uh, Likewise, in the spiritual realm, in the kingdom of God, you must walk in authority. So, third heaven authority is about that, but it is from a different perspective. I teach all the time. Just let's just do a little uh, bit of a renewing. Um, Perceptions and perspectives are very important. In the spiritual realm, we have perceptions. I, to my utmost ability, and by the presence and the teaching of the Holy Spirit from the Word of God, try to teach people how to develop their spiritual perceptions. You have natural perceptions. You can see, hear, touch, taste, feel. All of these perceptions come into your brain. They give you the ability then to begin to decipher and to calculate um, to apply your brain mass to, to figure out what's going on. And that's how we learn and we make decisions in the natural realm. However, when we get born again, in fact, even to get born again, it's an imperative that we understand that we are a spirit. There's more to us than just the natural body. And in the spirit, we have spiritual perceptions. We can, in the spiritual realm, see, touch, hear, taste, feel, the things of the Spirit, the things of the kingdom of God. That's how he teaches us. All of the gifts of the Spirit are in line with that. Uh, The fruit of the Spirit are in line with that. So we have those perceptions. So the very first thing is it's important to learn how to walk in the Spirit, how to move and to function in the heavenly realm, and all of those things, because you are a spiritual being, even more importantly than a natural being. Now, both of those comprise the wholeness of who you are, but it's not just perceptions. There's also perspectives. 
in the spiritual realm, we have the ability by the Spirit itself, the Holy Spirit, to develop different perspectives. So, uh, again, third heaven authority is not a new or a different kind of authority. There are four types of authority. Now, let me mention those. The first type, the Bible declares, is the authority of man. That sense of authority is that having a human body gives you the ability to walk into what God created us to experience on earth. He gave the earth. He created it. He created the plant life. He created the animals, the planets in the heavens, everything in the physical realm for mankind to have a home for us to dwell on. And he said that he gave dominion to us. He gave us authority. So by being in this earth suit, so to speak, in our bodies, we have the authority of mankind. Whether you're male, female, old, young, doesn't matter. If you're in a body, you have an uh, area of authority in this physical realm and an authorization to walk in that by God. So we have to learn how to do that in a godly manner. But the second type of authority is called spiritual authority or the authority of the believer. When we get born again, then what happens is Jesus comes into our heart. The Holy Spirit regenerates us, makes us children of God. We are born again. And then, according to Luke 10, 19, as well as a multitude of scriptures throughout the entirety of the New Testament, Jesus said to his disciples, Behold, I give to you authority over all the power of the enemy. So there is a spiritual authority in Matthew 16. He also told his disciples uh, at that point, and all of this before his death and resurrection, which I'm going to be getting into in a minute, because uh, that's the exciting part the very basic foundational building blocks of understanding and becoming very solid in that third heaven authority. But he told his disciples in Matthew 16 that he had given authority to the church so that they could bind and loose. Now, what he was talking about is preceding to that in the Old Covenant— You know, there's an old covenant and a new covenant. The division, two-thirds of the Bible that you have, the first two-thirds are the old covenant. And then the last third are the new covenant. The word testament there is taken from the Latin on what that word covenant is and what it means. So we call it Old Testament, New Testament. Two different covenants. Now, this is highly important. I'll get into that in just a few minutes. But because we are in the New Testament and Jesus came as the king of the kingdom, he had the ability to cast out demons, raise the dead, heal the sick, overcome natural laws, such as turning water into wine, uh, walking on the water, stilling the tempest, uh, so many different things that the power of heaven were exhibited in his life for. And then he said, 
in John's gospel that these works that I do, you shall do, and greater works you will do. So we're doing the greater works. But how do we demonstrate that kind of power? It is by having the same kind of authority that he has given to all believers. We have that spiritual authority, and we really need to use it. Now, the third type of authority the Bible mentions is actually what I call positional authority. In the kingdom, there is a delegated flow of authority from the head down. In other words, in the Godhead itself, there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So all authority comes from the Father to the Son to the Holy Spirit. On earth, within the body of Christ, there's, for instance, uh, the church itself, and there are the five gifts of ministry that have that position of authority, delegated authority, not to be misused or uh, to become abusive in any way, but the way God created it would be like the apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist. And they're supposed to be leaders. The Bible talks then about others, such as deacons and ministers in the church, etc., all flowing down. In the godly family, there's the husband, father, the wife, mother, and then the children. So there's a way that authority, spiritual authority, graces people to be the best that they can be and to walk in everything that God has created for them and to fulfill their destinies if it's done correctly. Now, part of the uh, fall of Adam is that in the natural realm, these things got messed up and they have been misused. But remember, the correction for abuse is not disuse, but right use. So let's do it in the grace of God the way that God intended. Then number four, the fourth type of authority is what I call authority in the glory of God. When the glory of God comes upon us in any form, we fall under the power, the Holy Spirit hits us with anointing at times, there's a healing, the Lord speaks to us, we have a vision, a dream, an angelic visitation, any supernatural work of God where the glory of God comes on us and that anointing hits us, it's not just so that we can have a good time or have a few goosebumps and then share with our friends what God did for us. It's so that we could come out of that experience with authority from the experience because he does not drop that kind of anointing and glory upon us without imparting wisdom, direction, assignment, so many different things. So we come out with greater equipment to be able to fulfill those things personally in our lives. So those are the four basic kinds of authority that I talk about, I teach on. So third heaven authority is not a fifth kind of authority. Third heaven authority is a higher way with a higher perspective of walking in those four kinds of authority. The authority of man, the authority of the believer, the authority of position, and the authority of the glory encounter. 
when we learn how to see it with a new perspective, to view it not only from God's Word and from His revelation, but also from a heavenly perspective. All right? Now, if I'm talking about third heaven authority, one thing that is of necessity, we must come to the place in order for us to have any kind of solidness, to really just grasp this and and go forward in it and have confidence in it, allow it to just develop and walk out through our lives, is I think that we really need to understand about covenants. That's why I mentioned Old Covenant and New Covenant earlier. The Old Covenant is actually the Abrahamic Covenant. Now, there are more covenants than that mentioned in the Old Testament. There's an Adamic Covenant. There's a Davidic Covenant. There's a covenant that was established with Noah. But the reason for the Abrahamic Covenant is because the whole in general of the Old Testament is about that. It's about the covenant God established with Abraham. The purpose of that covenant was to bring us to the point that he could establish a new covenant, a different covenant, an eternal covenant. The Bible says a better covenant and do away with the first. That better new covenant was established with the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason he did that is for us to become the children of God and to walk in that covenant. Now, let me explain a little bit to you. But before I do so, one of the reasons that I'm teaching on this today is because I know a lot of people are kind of floundering, not only in their personal lives, but maybe grasping and understanding the authority and specifically this heavenly, third heaven authority that I have been teaching on. And one of the reasons is because they don't really understand the covenant they have with God. And so to them, everything that they're doing in their Christian lives is in some way trying to get God to do something for them, trying to figure out how they can talk God into it, how that they can pray correctly, uh, how are they to have enough faith, are they doing it right, uh, is, you know, and, and because of that lack of assurance and confidence. They don't really know what the will of God is. They're spending all of their time trying to figure out what God's will is and how to get him to do it. And that is not the best approach. In fact, I'll tell you, that is not a good approach. It is the wrong approach to scripture. The Old Covenant, Old Testament, described everything about that covenant, and they walked in it, or they abused it, they didn't walk in it, they rejected it, but it was there until Jesus came. So now we have the new covenant, which is the four gospels, which by the way took place historically within the time frame of the old covenant, it's just separated and part of the New Testament because it's about Jesus. It's about the king of the kingdom coming and making all of these changes. And everything that could happen, he performed on the earth during that time as a new covenant creature, king with authority, 
and demonstrating what we could do now. So when you get there from the book of Acts and Romans and all the way up through the book of Revelation, it's described. That is God's will. There are those that say, well, is it God's will to save that person down the street? He's such an ornery knothead. I just don't know if that could happen. I, you don't have to fast and pray for three days and try to figure out whether it's God's will to save him. The Bible already says that God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, that none would perish, but all would receive him. It's clear There is no further revelation on it. It's established. It's concrete in the covenant that we have with Jesus Christ. God would have us minister, if we can, to every human being we come in contact with, to pray for every human being that we are aware of, and even those we're not aware of because of the intercessory ability of praying in tongues and how the Holy Spirit uses us with the confidence that it is God's will for that person to be saved. Now, it's their decision whether they accept him or not, but it's God's will. When we look at other provisions of this covenant that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, we begin to see then that so many of the things that the church struggles with have already been defined within that covenant. I'll explain a lot more of that a little bit later. In fact, I can tell right now that this is probably going to be a two-part series, so you'll want to make sure that you listen next week to part two, and I'll explain the kind of things that are in the covenant. But let me mention this one. Healing. So many believers are trying to figure out for their own life, for others, Does God heal? Does he heal everyone? Is it his will for people to be healed? Should I pray for that person to be healed uh, that has asked me to? Because I don't know whether God is going to heal him. And maybe I'm going against the will of God or any of those kinds of things. You know, maybe healing has passed away when the last apostle died. There's so many ideas out there. But the Bible in the new covenant stipulates what this covenant covers. And it is healing, bodily healing. Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. It doesn't say lay hands on people and then try to figure out whether it's God. And you'll know whether it's God or not by whether they get healed or not. So keep your eyes on the physical circumstances, and if it doesn't appear like it's happening, then you know it was God's will not to. Well, if you approach healing that way, nobody's going to get healed. I mean, it may be a person here or there, primarily because of either the grace of God or because uh, the other person themselves are reaching out in faith and asking for it, etc., but You can't approach these things in doubt and unbelief and what-ifs because that's how the enemy neutralizes your faith. That's how he paralyzes the authority and the power of God in your life. That's not authority. That's not taking authority. So we have to, in order to take authority, understand 
this covenant. It's established, and God's sovereign will has already been written in the New Testament. Praise God. Okay, let's talk about covenant a little bit more here from the standpoint of the words. Uh, In the Old Testament, the word for covenant is bereth. It means to cut or divide. In the New Testament, it's diatheke. It means to divide or make disposition as if by a will. Now, what's interesting about those two words is that in the Old Testament word, the Hebrew, to cut, actually majors on and reflects on the sacrificial act itself. If you cut something, there's going to be a blood flow. There has to be a blood flow. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. It also said, and that's in Hebrews, in Leviticus, uh, it declares that the life of the flesh is in the blood. So it has to be the spilling of that life, spilling of blood in the establishing of covenant. So in the Old Testament, when God established covenant with Abraham, it says in Genesis 15 that he had Abraham to get these three animals and some birds. I think it was a heifer, uh, a goat, and a ram and to cut them in half, and then to separate them, lay the left half on one side in a line and the right half on the other side with a space in the middle, which was the path of God. God then put him in a deep sleep after the blood of the animals had already been shed. And remember, the blood of animals, uh, goats, um, uh, bulls, uh, sheep, the paschal lamb, were shed by the high priest, Uh, in the Holy of Holies on a yearly basis. And the reason it had to be yearly is because the blood of animals were not capable of redeeming the hearts of mankind, only deal with their attitudes and behaviors and the outward aspect of what their life was. That's why it uses in the Old Testament the word atonement, which means covers. So the blood of an animal would cover their sins for a year, and then it had to be repeated. In the New Testament, it was the blood of Jesus. It was eternal blood, never having to be repeated. We are saved eternally. So again, the Old Testament word for covenant emphasized the actual cut dividing death and blood spill that was necessary. Now, the New Testament, that word means reflects on, emphasizes the inheritance that comes with that act of covenant. There was shedding of blood and inheritance in the old, There was a shedding of blood, Jesus's, and an inheritance that came from him in the new. Again, the reason I'm going through this is because if we're in, I should say since we're in a covenant with Jesus, 
then it's imperative for us to understand what that covenant covers. And that if it's in the covenant, then we have absolute assurance that it's God will, we can put faith in it, that we can walk in boldness, we can use our authority, our New Testament, our third heaven authority in that thing. And we know that we are right and God will back us up. We have covenant rights. We are covenant children. In the New Testament, Jesus established a covenant. The old one between God and Abraham was between God and man. The new one between God and Jesus was between God and God-man. The way that all of the Israelites, the Jewish people, got into that Abrahamic covenant in the old was through the person of Abraham. The way that the body of Christ, every born-again believer throughout history and history in the future, (laughs) if you can describe it that way, is through the man, God-man, Jesus Christ. So the covenant between the Father and Jesus the Son is eternal, is perfect. It cannot be destroyed. It cannot be messed up in any way. You cannot stop the covenant. You cannot destroy the effects of the covenant because it's a spiritual covenant and your physical actions do not negate the covenant. What your physical actions can do at times is bring you into a place to where if there's sin, in your life, that it can hinder your ability to walk in the provisions of the covenant because of guilt and shame and and all the things that come in, condemnation from the enemy and fear and doubt and all of the effects that are associated with those things. But the covenant is sure. So my encouragement at this time is for you to understand that because of that covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ, that these provisions are yours and you have the right to stand up and walk in authority. Wow. I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to save the rest of this for part two. Just receive, just receive this. Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray for each and every listener. And Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit that's already working on the inside of them and beginning to just explode those different revelations and drop those nuggets into their heart and they begin to see where that authority comes from and how that they have covenant with you, that Lord, that you would make it so strong in their hearts and the revelation by the Holy Spirit now within them that they rise up in the spiritual realm that they rise up into who they are in Jesus and in the covenant that he has established with them. They are covenant people. They have covenant rights, and there are covenant fulfillments that are being manifested in their lives. Bless them, I pray, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Praise God.
Oh, don't forget to join me next week. But join me in every future episode by subscribing to Third Heaven Authority with Mike Thompson. Do it on your favorite podcast platform. Walk in the covenant and you'll walk in authority.